What's up, guys? I am your host, Kayla Taylor, and you are listening to the Listen To Me Speak podcast. We are on episode 20. I can't believe I'm even saying that. It feels like I haven't been doing this podcast that long, and I think that it's an achievement to have made it to 20 episodes. So thank you guys so much for listening to every episode and supporting each week and sharing my episodes on your social media and retweeting me on social media. It really means the most because it means you're helping me um, get a bigger reach. I guess a bigger reach to a wider audience is the best way to say it. And, you know, I'm so grateful and um, I don't want to waste time. So let's get right into things. So I wanted to start off the episode by talking about my Spotify wrapped. Um, So though I'm sure most of you guys know what it is by now, for those of you who don't know, Spotify does this thing where they collect data from all of the music you listen to all year and compile different lists and playlists based off of those results. They give you your top five most listened to artists, your top five most listened to songs, and a playlist for your 100 most listened to two songs they call it um i think it's it's called your top songs 2020 so each year obviously the year changes but they call it your top songs 2020 and it's like 100 of your most listened to songs of the year now i look forward to this every year but i won't lie i think spotify was off with my list this year and i know i'm not the only one who thinks so so i know i'm not bugging Spotify's algorithm has been off this year, and I've seen a a few people complain about that on Twitter. There are songs I know for a fact that I listen to more than the five songs Spotify actually listed as my top favorites. So I thought I'd discuss some of my results with you. So here is my top five artist list on Wrapped. So at number one, it's Justin Bieber, which was a shock, which was a shock to me, kind of. Uh, Number two is Drake. Three was Big Sean, four was Kehlani, and five was Chris Brown. Now, Big Sean, Kehlani, and even Drake isn't a surprise because I listened to them a lot this year. And even though I listened to a lot of Justin and Chris's music, I didn't listen to them as much as I listened to artists like Victoria Monet and Kiana Lede. So I definitely think they should have made the list instead. Um, what I feel like my list should have looked like would be one, Kiana Lede, two, Drake, three, Kehlani, four, Big Sean, and five, Victoria Monet. But whatever, my artist list isn't off by a whole lot, but I feel like it's off a little bit. So moving on to my top five song list, which I felt like was way off. Like my artist list is, you know, I could live with that, but my top five songs list was way off. So my list goes as follows. One, ETA by Justin Bieber. Two, Yummy by Justin Bieber. Three, Get Me by Justin Bieber. Four, Intentions by Justin Bieber. And five, Body by Summer Walker. Now, in February, I listened to Justin's Changes album a lot. But by April and May, Kehlani, Division, and Kiana Lede's albums had come out, and those were the only three albums I was really listening to on rotation. I was obsessed with them. Um, I can name six or seven songs that I was listening to way more than Yummy or Get Me, so I don't understand how Spotify came up with those results. Uh, my top five should have included Dive by Victoria Monet, Forfeit by Kiana Lede and Lucky Day, and For Us by Division. These songs made my top 100 songs playlist, but they definitely should have made the top five, and actually some of these songs actually almost made the cut into my top five. Like I said, I'm not the only one who said their Spotify rap was off, so like I said, at least I'm not bugging. 
hopefully in 2021 spotify gets it right and they look at the criticisms that they face on social media over um the spotify rap and they try to make sure that their algorithms are more accurate because this definitely was way off so moving on from my Spotify wrapped, I did want to talk about the latest Red Table Talk episode with Olivia Jade. For those of you who don't know who Olivia Jade is, she is one of uh, the daughters of Lori Laughlin and her husband Massimo. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And just recently, they were sentenced to two months and five months respectfully. And Olivia Jade is now officially speaking out because now their cases have been essentially resolved and now she's not um forced into silence because of you know law um because of the law so um i decided to watch it even though when it was first announced that she was on the episode i kind of was like i don't understand why jada agreed to this i kind of agreed with jada's mom her name is adrian i believe they call her gam in the sense that of all places to go to a privileged young white woman went to three black women. And I just kind of saw it as, even though I was shocked that that was her first choice, when I really thought about it, it made sense because um, Red Table Talk has been promoted as the safe space. And I feel like her going to the Red Table Talk that's hosted by three black women was a strong PR move because let's be real, the Red Table Talk has now become a place for celebrities who have majorly fucked up. It's a place for them to go to. Uh, mostly it had been for black celebrities, but now it's just kind of been um, this PR move, especially after the whole Jordan Woods and Tristan situation. And I felt like, you know, we look at Olivia Jade and that family as extremely privileged because they are. They are the definition of white privilege. This whole situation is um, an ex a great example of wh what white privilege and financial privilege can do for people. And I feel like they know that. And so they thought to themselves, the best place to speak out officially would be on the Red Table Talk so that we can maybe look better and kind of get the sympathy or, or maybe get the black community and the people of color to kind of hear my story and hear where I'm, I'm coming from. And so I can kind of, you know, let the world know that I'm, I'm trying to be better and I'm recognizing my white privilege and I'm doing things for, you know, less privileged community and things like that, because that's essentially what they spent those 30 minutes talking about what she learned from her experience of, you know, this situation if she's acknowledged and recognized her white privilege okay what are you going to do now that you've recognized this privileged it was a pr move i'm pretty sure almost everybody who watched this episode saw it for what it was and i really i agreed with what adrian was saying about the situation and how she was against having olivia jade come on there because at the end of the day she feels like as a privileged white woman Olivia, Lori, Massimo, her sister, they're all gonna be okay. They're serving bullshit sentences, two months. There are other people, I think, in this um, scandal that are serving more time. Um, and for me, this whole situation angered me when I first heard about it. Sorry if I'm all over the place. I'm just, I just finished watching the episode. Um, but when I first heard about this situation, when the scandal broke, I was very um, vocal about my disgust and my anger about the situation as a young black woman who really worked her ass off to get into college and not 
only to get in college, but worked her ass off to maintain great grades to stay in college because I don't come from privilege. I don't have white privilege. I don't have parents that can just pay off a college counselor to get my way into school. I have to work for those fucking things. That really angered me. It was a slap in the face to those who do work hard to get into college, who struggle, who have to take out loans, who have to work three or four fucking jobs to stay in college and then have to work four or five jobs to pay off their debts from college. People who don't ever get to pay off their debt in college and probably die in debt. And you have this family who has all this wealth and all this privilege that just threw handfuls of cash at a counselor to get their daughters into school was such a fucking slap in the face and their sentences only being two months was another slap in the face and so I definitely understood Adrian's anger but where I do um disagree with her on was her tone I think um Adrian is in her she's an older woman she's in her 60s I believe and Olivia Jade's only a year younger than me she's 21 I feel like her tone she should have um she should have um, approached her tone a little differently, if that makes sense. Um, because she is essentially, for her, she's talking to a child. And I feel like that energy should have been directed at her parents. Which she eventually acknowledged, saying that, you know, she doesn't want Olivia to take it so personally. That she, her anger is really towards the situation and her parents. Um, I definitely think that Jada's tone, and even Willow's, was more professional. And the way I feel like... I feel like Jada approached the situation professionally and I do understand where Adrian is coming from and I know that Jada's had past episodes of the Red Table Talk where Adrian's not there or Willow's not there or they're both not there. I think that because Adrian felt so strongly about the situation and was so against Olivia being there that maybe she she should have just sat this episode out because you could see that it was very hard for her, that she was trying to be understanding and compassionate, but that it was hard for her. And I understand that completely. But unfortunately, this is a show. They do have to conduct, conduct themselves professionally. And I feel like there is a way to get those same feelings and um, emotions out. There's a way to, to express those emotions in a different way. If that made sense, I'm, I'm trying to um, be um, very clear about my thoughts and, and try not to be all over the place. But I do think there's a certain way that you can say things that can still get those same feelings across. And I think that Adria just could have handled that better. I also think that it just shows that Lori and Massimo are again assholes because now they're in jail and their young daughter is forced to kind of be their mouthpiece and, and face the backlash um for her parents and um I feel like I understand why Olivia wanted to speak out because she couldn't for so long and she probably figured the longer that she waited the more that America was just I guess going to continue to write her off or assume that she didn't care and she wanted to get ahead of it but I do think that if this situation was going to be talked about it should have been Lori and her husband who spoke out first rather than kind of throwing their daughter to the wolves. Um, you could say what you want about whether you think Olivia was genuine on the episode. I definitely think that it's very obvious that this was an eye-opening experience for her. And she was very honest in explaining that in the beginning of this scandal, she didn't see 
anything that was wrong with what her parents did because this is the norm for her. She grew up in privilege. Her parents probably threw money at situations her whole life. Her friends probably got into college the same way she did. She didn't see anything wrong with the situation. And I, it's very clear that if this scandal hadn't happened, she probably would have continued living on in her blissful ignorance, which is what the problem is. And it, this scandal happening, she says, forced her to open her eyes to inequality and in, in her realizing how privileged she is. Um, I don't know her personally. I don't know if this is just for PR. I don't know if she truly um, feels the way she says she does. I know I've been on her Twitter page since the episode and her last tweets were kind of talking about the Black Lives Matter movements. But, you know, to me, saying things on Twitter doesn't mean shit. You have to actually, if you want to be an ally, you have to actually do things rather than just say I'm against racism. Like, how against it are you? What are you doing to help fight it? Are you having those tough conversations with your family members who are ignorant and who are racist? Um, so I just, all I can say is that obviously I hope that she's genuine in wanting to change and that for me personally, my opinions on the situation on them hasn't changed. I still think that they are extremely privileged, that they're going to be fine. There are people who have done things that aren't as bad as this and have had lengthier sentences. I know there's a, a black woman who was sentenced for, I don't remember her actual, the length of her sentence, sentence, but it was kind of like extreme because she was, I believe she was bringing her child to a school outside of her zone and got caught for doing so. And they put her in jail for it, which was fucking ridiculous. And then you have people like Lori Laughlin who pay their kids way through school and only get a two month sentence. So I understood Adrian, um, having a hard time struggling with compassion for the situation or, you know, I understood that. And she's right at the end of the day, they're going to be okay. They're, they're still going to be wealthy coming outside of jail. Eventually America is going to forgive them. They're going to get roles again. Felicity Huffman, she's already got a role lined up now that she's home. So really they're going to be fine. It, it, it's, it, that's what further angers, I think me and a lot of people about the situation. Um, but you can only hope that people learn and grow from these things. That's all I can really say on the situation. And on Olivia, I just hope that they grow they don't make those same mistakes, but um, if they're looking for forgiveness or for a change of heart, for me and a lot of people who feel the same way I do, it's not happening. It is what it is. You're going to serve your time and be fine, and I still think it's absolutely disgusting that they did what they did, and um, that's really all I have to say about the situation. I feel like <laughs> when I listen back to this episode, of uh, this part of the episode, I'm going to cringe because my thoughts were kind of all over the place. I try to write some vague notes about how I feel about things to kind of keep everything um, together and concise. But I literally just watched this episode, so I'm really freeballing my thoughts here. But, you know, anybody who knows me and has me on social media knows I'm so disgusted by this whole situation because, like I said, I've been very vocal about how I feel. And um, that's really all I have left to say. And with this, I think this is the last I'm really ever going to talk about the situation. I'm when they come out of jail, if they ever do an interview, I'm pro I'm not interested in, in watching it. I think Olivia, I'm going to leave it at Olivia Jade's um, Red Table Talk interview. I have no more interest in the subject. And shout out to the people who worked their asses off and got into college um, the moral way, the ethical way. Shout out to y'all. And I know me and a lot of my friends who worked hard, 
you know, we graduated this year and we worked our asses off to get here. And hopefully in five and six or six years, we can get jobs in our career field and um, really make the most out of our degrees. So last week I watched a shit ton of movies and thought I'd talk about them. So I first want to talk about Hobbs and Shaw. My dad and I are huge fans of the Fast and Furious series, but when we watched the trailer for Hobbs and Shaw last year, we both agreed that it wasn't worth wasting money on. The movie recently came on HBO though, so we decided to record the movie and watch it together. And can I just say that I am so glad that we didn't waste our money seeing it last year because this movie was whack as hell. First of all, the dialogue in this movie was super cheesy and cringy, as my sister loves to say. A lot of the dialogue wasn't even needed, nor did it progress the plot at all. Halfway through the movie, I completely lost interest. The movie was just all over the place. It had a plot, but halfway through the movie, it kind of abandons it, which was what caused me to lose interest in the movie in the first place. I also thought that including Kevin Hart in the movie was unnecessary. It's very obvious that including Kevin was The Rock's idea, since they have a funny dynamic together. However, in this movie, it came off as random and didn't make sense to include his character in the movie at all. The movie was just laughable overall, and I couldn't take it seriously. Even Idris Elba couldn't save this movie, and he's a great actor. They'll probably make a sequel to the movie, but I won't be watching it. Um, Exactly what I assumed. I assumed the movie was going to be a certain way from the trailer, and actually watching the movie, it proved me right. Um, moving on, I want to talk about Sarah Paulson's new movie, Run, which is out on Hulu. A little background on the movie, Sarah Paulson stars as a single mother who seemingly has a close relationship with her daughter, but as the movie progresses, you start to quickly realize that not all is as it seems. I really enjoyed watching this movie. I loved each plot twist, and though the first plot twist is extremely obvious, and is a plot that has been done before... The other plot twists, and specifically the ending, are kind of unique and a little unexpected. I think the directing was done well, and I loved the use of cool and dreary colors, I guess you could call it color blocking, because it matches the cold and unsettling feelings that you experience while watching the movie, and even um, the setting and the environment reflect this feeling. Sarah Paulson is an amazing actress, and the actress who played her daughter was great too. I also loved the moments of foreshadowing in the movie. They're subtle, and then once something happens, I remember that the director did kind of foreshadow it happening earlier in the movie, so that was done extremely well. Like I said, it's one of the things that the movie did well um, with the foreshadowing. Like, they would foreshadow certain items like the pills and the colors of the pills and even just the colors of certain items as well. Like, the colors were symbols of, like, emotions and just foreshadowing something bad happening, I feel like. Um... I definitely recommend this movie if you are into thriller movies like I am. I love them. Anytime there's a new thriller of any kind out, I always try to go see it. And um, Run wasn't a disappointment at all. It was really, really good. It was actually so good that I feel like I should rewatch it a couple of times because I feel like there were definitely things that I missed on the first time watching. But I really liked this one. Up next, I want to talk about The Hangover Part 2. I watched the first part in April and thought it was hilarious, so I decided to watch um, part two as well. Um, So if you're not familiar with the movies, the Hangover movies are pretty much like a group of guys. Um, In the first one, 
one of the friends in the friend group is getting married and they decide to throw him a bachelor party that goes awfully wrong because they all get extremely fucked up and crazy shit happens and then the next morning they wake up and they don't remember anything that happened the friend i think his i forgot the character's name is i think it may be phil he goes missing and it's the day of his wedding and they need to try to find him before um the wedding actually starts so during the course of the first movie, you kind of, the movie starts from the end and then it retraces its steps. And that's something that all of the three movies does. And that's something that they do really well. Um, and so for part two, this time a different friend gets married and the similar thing happens. Um, they all get drunk the night before the wedding. One of them goes missing and then they spend the course of the movie finding the missing person in, before the movie and before time runs out essentially. Now, making sequels that live up to the first movie is often hard and not easily achieved, but part two of The Hangover actually did a decent job. It's not as funny as the first one, but the director and writers were able to create a sequel that made sense and that actually had a similar formula as the first one without trying to copy everything exactly so that it wasn't super predictable. But, you know, movies with a little predictability are okay, at least in comedies, because comedies are made to make you laugh. They're not supposed to be taken super seriously. So I'm okay with it in this, um, for this movie. Like I've said before, what I like the most about these movies is that they always start at the end and then we have to watch what happened in the past. And as they try to put together what happened the night before, the audience is doing the same thing. Um, so like I said, this was actually a decent sequel. I plan on watching part three, but I don't know what to expect or if they were able to give a good ending to this trilogy, but I guess I'll find out whenever I get the chance to watch part three because finding part two was kind of hard. Thankfully, it's on HBO, so I was able to watch it. I haven't been able to find part three um, playing anywhere, so hopefully I'll get lucky and it'll randomly be on one day. Um, but I did watch the trailer for part three, and I kind of think that... Um, It'll be a nice ending because with the first two movies, like I said, they kind of have the same formula of, okay, so a friend is getting married, they get drunk, they forget everything, and then they have to find out where that missing person is. It was already crazy enough that it happened to them one time, and it's kind of like unbelievable that it happened to them a second time considering how much trouble they got into the first time. So for them to, for it to have happened to them a third time would have just been un you know, it would have been unbelievable and it also would have been tiring at this point. From what I've seen of the trailer for part three, it's kind of like one of the characters that they wronged in the second movie comes back for, reven for revenge and takes Phil again and they have to do whatever the guy says to get Phil back. So um, I'll let you guys know when I finally do watch part three. Maybe I'll try to watch the movies again in order. Um, but yeah, that's what I thought about The Hangover Part 2. The next movie I want to talk about that I watched over the past week is a movie called The Invisible Man. This movie stars Elizabeth Moss as a woman named Cece who escapes her controlling and abusive husband. This movie was supposed to actually come out in theaters, but with the pandemic and the movie theater shutting down, it eventually, um, the movie rights were handed over to HBO Max. So um, after Cece escapes her controlling husband, he eventually, quote, quote, I'm, I have my fingers up as quotes, kills himself. But weeks afterwards, she starts getting stalked by his supposed ghost. She's convinced he faked his death and is somehow still alive and making her life a living hell. 
However, everyone else around her thinks she's crazy. And honestly, because as the audience, you know she's not crazy, you actually believe what she's saying. It was so frustrating seeing other characters kind of turn their back on her and not believe her because she's telling the truth. But, you know, I think if anybody, if this happened in real life and one of my friends was telling me that her crazy ex who supposedly is dead, whose body was found, is stalking her as a ghost, I would probably recommend that she gets help. So I can't blame them, but it was frustrating. This movie was one hell of a ride and honestly held my attention for the whole entire two hours, or maybe a little less. I think the acting in this movie was phenomenal. There are several fight scenes with actors and the Invisible Man that were very convincing, which is not easy to do because you're fighting air, essentially. But, you know, they pulled it off. The cast did an amazing job, and I definitely think this movie deserves some awards. I think the storyline is very chilling and left me uneasy, and that's what a good thriller should do. Like I said, I'm a fan of thrillers. Um, the ending was also unexpected and unique. Um, I don't want to tell you how it ends, obviously, because you may want to watch it. Throughout most of this movie, I was actually unsuspecting of a lot of the plot, which I was happy about. A lot of movies these days are so predictable that I really appreciate the ones that aren't, that actually keep me on my toes. And The Invisible Man was a movie that I didn't really have a lot of interest in the first time I saw the trailer. I think before the pandemic struck, I saw Birds of Prey in theaters and that's when I first saw the trailer. And I'm like, it's interesting, but I probably won't go see it. And then after the pandemic hit and, you know, movie theaters were trying to figure out how they were going to get movies that were slated to come out during the pandemic, how they were going to figure that out with the movie theaters being closed. And then that's when they decided to put The Invisible Man on demand, I think, at the time. And so the trailers for the movie were, like, amped up. And I'm like, the more I kept seeing it, I'm like, this is an interesting plot. I haven't really seen um, a movie like this before. Now I'm interested. And, um... Flash forward to now, I decided to get HBO Max because a lot of content, I'm interested in a lot of the content that's supposed to be dropping over the course of the next few months. And I saw that The Invisible Man was on there and I was super excited to watch it and it definitely didn't disappoint. Now, the final movie on my list is La La Land. This movie came out in 2016. It stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And I've heard so many great things about this movie. It was one of the most talked about movies of the year. And um, I could never find it. And again, because now I have HBO Max and it's on there, I was able to watch it. And I was so excited because, like I said, I heard so many great things about it. I'm a huge fan of musicals. So I said, you know what? I might like it as well. And I sat down and watched it and it was very disappointing. It was very overhyped. I thought the I thought that Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone didn't have a whole lot of chemistry together as a couple. Um, I found his character to be very, very annoying. And I don't know, the plot just wasn't interesting to me. So a little bit about the movie. Ryan Gosling's character plays a jazz musician who wants to open up his own like jazz club. And Emma Stone plays a hopeful actress who is struggling to get roles. And they meet each other... Um, they don't have like the best first impression of each other, but then um, they bump into each other again, start hanging out, eventually begin dating, but then when their careers start to take off in the direction they want them to, um, the relationship between them fizzles out. Now, I think this movie got a lot of hype because of the ending of the movie, and to me, 
there was nothing spectacular about it. I think the only unique thing about the ending was essentially that it didn't have a typical Hollywood ending where everything is happily ever after, tied up with the perfect bow, and the characters live positive, happy, you know, perfect lives. And um, I'll give them credit for that, but I think that the hype that this ending gets, which I won't reveal to you guys in case you do want to watch it, though if you do have HBO Max, you probably want to watch it as soon as possible because I think they're taking it off of there pretty soon. But the ending was like overhyped. I didn't see what was so special about it other than the fact that it didn't follow the trend of any other Hollywood movie ever. And so I was like, I went looking on YouTube, like, for people to explain the ending, to explain the movie, to see if maybe I missed something. But I think it's just the case of people, there's always that one movie that people overhype and then you watch it and you're like, this is what everybody was so crazy about. And that was definitely the case for me. I think the singing in the movie was subpar. Obviously, John Legend, he makes um, a few cameos in the movie and he's a phenomenal singer. So he had the best singing throughout the whole movie. Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling aren't the strongest singers. Um, I think that there are other actors they could have chosen that can act and can sing equally well, but it is what it is. But all I have to really say about La La Land was that it was subpar. And um, I still have to watch Moonlight as well. I think Moonlight is on Netflix. I think I've been kind of like, you know, dragging my feet about watching that because I heard how like emotional that movie is and how sad it is. Um, but that was the movie that actually beat out La La Land um, I think at the Oscars, so I definitely have to sit down and watch that movie. Maybe that movie meets the hype, but as far as La La Land, definitely doesn't. Just trying to keep it real. Speaking of movies, though, Michael Ely and Hilary Swank have a new movie called um, Fatal coming out this month. It pretty much has the same storyline and elements of Fatal Attraction, Obsessed, Perfect Guy, and every other movie like it. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I'm a sucker for those types of movies, so of course I'm interested in seeing this one as well. From the trailer, Michael Ely's character goes to Vegas and has an affair with Hilary Swank's character, despite the fact that he's married. I know, right? Great guy. <laughs> it obviously doesn't work out between them, and then someone breaks into his house that he lives in with his wife. And who's the detective who shows up on the case? Of course it's Hilary Swank's character. And it's obvious that she has something to do with the break-in. So this aspect makes the movie interesting despite the plot being overdone because none of the other movies have the crazy, jaded, you know, obsessive um, ex-lover as the cop, which is going to make it easier for Hilary Swank's character to stalk and attack Michael Ely's character and his wife. It looks like this movie is actually going to be out in theaters, so I'll have to wait for it to come out on DVD or hit a streaming service or, you know, watch it on demand. But whenever it does come out, I'll be watching. Um, I'm surprised that they're still going forward with putting it in the theaters, considering major, you know, cities like New York aren't open and their theaters aren't open, so maybe they'll change their mind and put it on a streaming service, or maybe it'll be out in the theaters for two weeks and then they'll quickly put it on demand like they've been doing with other movies. I guess we'll see, but I will definitely try to watch that. The trailer for Wendy Williams' Lifetime biopic also dropped last week, and the actress who plays her is perfectly cast because she looks similar enough to her and has her mannerisms down. So I think sometimes when actors play um, real-life people, they don't always exactly look like the person they're playing, but the mannerisms are so spot-on, it's believable. And this is definitely the case here. And I'll definitely be, I'll definitely be watching that craziness next year. It's I forgot when in January it's dropping, but it is dropping in January. 
And you know, every year there's always something crazy that happens right in January. And I'm pretty sure this movie is going to be one of those things. I'm pretty sure Twitter is going to be exploding talking about this movie because Wendy Williams is a fucking character. So um, this movie is going to be like typical Lifetime biopic trash and I'm here for it. Moving on to some music. Jordan Sparks released a new Christmas project titled Cider and Hennessy a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not super crazy about Christmas albums typically, but there are four songs on this project that I really liked. The music isn't bad at all, but to me, Christmas music is only good for a limited amount of time, like in December, and after Christmas, I have no real desire to listen to the music afterwards unless the songs don't sound super Christmassy, for lack of better words. I did want to talk about two of the songs I really liked on this project, though. So I'm going to start off with a song called It's You. I love the guitar in the production that immediately caught my attention, which is usually what catches my attention in production because I think guitars are beautiful. It gives the song a lot of soul and just sounds super smooth. I also love the deeper pitch that Jordan sings in here. It suits the song really well. And I also just love when artists like Jordan Sparks and like Amber Riley and like Ariana Grande, when they have this wide range, Beyonce as well, they have this wide range that can sing the highest of notes. I don't know, I think it's so dope when they sing in in these lower, deeper tones because it sounds really, really good. I also love her background vocals on this track. I personally think R&B singers make the best Christmas music, and um, this song is a great example of a great R&B Christmas song. This song also reminds me of Chris Brown's rendition of This Christmas. I don't know why, but it does. Maybe because this track has influences of the early 2000s in the production. Anyway, It's You is the standout track on this project, in my opinion. The last song I want to talk about is a song called Love is Alive. This song is just a feel-good Christmas song. You know how excited you felt as a kid when Christmas time was around? This song matches those happy and giddy feelings to me. I think what makes Christmas music so addicting is that it's so positive and it tugs on your inner child in a way. And Love is Alive is no different. It's a happy and feel-good track and Jordan's vocals sound great as usual here too. So that's really all I have to say about um, Jordan Sparks' new Christmas project. I find... um, Christmas albums are really kind of hard to dig deep into and review because most Christmas albums, and I think this is also a problem I have with them, they, a lot of these artists re-sing the same Christmas songs. It's, you know, I think what makes Mariah Carey, like, quote-unquote, the queen of Christmas music is that, you know, her Christmas album, for the most part, I think was original music. All I Want for Christmas Is You is an original song. You know, since that song's been out, I've heard 30 different um, renditions of that song done over and over and over again. And so it's like, I like the original version of that song. I don't need to hear the other 50 versions of it. I'm not going to save 50 different versions of the song either. So I think that um, I really, the, the Christmas songs that I take to are usually the original ones. I think that's why Ariana Grande's Christmas EPs do so well, because yes, she does, you know, sing some of the Christmas classics, but on Christmas and Chill, those are all original songs, and they sound current, right? Um, so I think that's also what sets her apart, and that's why she makes good Christmas music, because she's making original Christmas music instead of singing the same five songs over and over again, and I think that's why I'm kind of over Christmas albums. Like, I'll listen to some of my favorites, like, you know, like I said, Ariana Grande's Christmas EPs, the Justin Bieber album, Mariah Carey's um, Christmas album, like I'll listen to those, but as far as really getting into a new Christmas album, 
I really have no desire. I'll probably check out JoJo's Christmas album, which I was supposed to review along with Jordan Sparks, but I didn't have a lot of time. But I'm gonna give hers a chance because I think a lot of the music on her album is original as well. But that's really all I have to say in regards to that. I hope I don't, that doesn't make me sound like a Grinch because I really do love Christmas, but I think Christmas music is just overhyped. Moving on, Shawn Mendes also dropped a new album last week called Wonder, and it was everything I expected it was going to be. It was bland and boring with no real evolution. Shawn has been singing about the same things over and over again over similar sounding production. And it's been years and it's tired and I'm over it. <laughs> you would think that now that he has a real muse, quote unquote, aka the Fifth Harmony Girl, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. You know, you would think that now there would be more depth and conviction in his music, but there is none of that. I did read that his projected sales um, for this album were a lot lower compared to his previous albums. So maybe I'm not the only one who feels this way. I was a fan of Shawn Mendes at one point, but I got sick and tired of hearing the same things done over and over again, and I kind of, like, fell out of touch with his music, and maybe there are core fan members of his that feel the same. I think the moment his magic faded for me was when he admitted a few years ago that at the time, he had never actually experienced heartbreak and was essentially singing songs with no real conviction or experience, which made the music begin to feel and sound inauthentic to me. I do always try to find at least some positives of any album I talk about, and there were two songs, aside from Monster, that I liked enough to save from this album, and these songs are Call My Friends and Teach Me How to Love. So I'm going to start off with Call My Friends. This is one of the only songs that actually has some high energy to it and isn't boring. I love the production and how live it sounds, specifically the drums. Another highlight of this song is the chorus. It carries the song in my personal opinion. My favorite line from Call My Friends is, quote, I should call my friends and go get high. I need a vacation from my mind. I want to go. Nobody knows me better than them. Want to feel something again. I think as humans, we sometimes get lost in our own lives and our stress, and sometimes we isolate ourselves from our friends and people who love us. And then one day it hits you that you miss them, and then when you're around them again, you feel like yourself again. I like the, and this is why I like the chorus because I relate to that feeling. And I think a lot of us relate to that feeling. I think, you know, I think spending time with yourself and being alone at times is good for you, but doing that too much sometimes can um, have negative effects. And sometimes just being around people who love you, who get you, who understand you can just lift your spirits up. And I think that's kind of what he was trying to get across on this song. The final song I want to talk about on this album is Teach Me How to Love. This song is actually danceable, and Sean doesn't have many songs like this in his discography. I also love the 70s-inspired production on this track and the background vocals in the bridge. I don't think the woman who is singing is credited, but her voice is really pretty. I don't particularly have any favorite um, line off of this song. I think what I like the most about the song is the production. Overall, Wonder is a lackluster album with no real direction or concept. The music is lacking with no real heart. Maybe on the next album, Sean will finally find a different sound and change it up. Moving on from Sean, Tiana Taylor has pretty much announced that she's retiring from music because she feels unappreciated as an artist and that she's just mentally tired and exhausted. Or physically exhausted is what I meant to say. 
And though I empathize with her and do believe she feels all of these things, I seriously don't think she's going to actually retire. I think she's upset and angry about not being nominated for a Grammy, coupled with her issues with her label Good Music, and is reacting off of those emotions, which is understandable. Realistically, I think she'll probably take a long break, maybe three or four years, before she's back to making music again because true artists can't stay away from the pull of making music for too long. And I think that she just, like I said, she just needs a real break and she needs off of good music because this isn't the first time she's complained about good music. It's not the first time that an artist has complained about Def Jam, which good music, um, which Def Jam, I think, distributes good music. So this isn't the first time artists on that label have complained. Uh, a few months ago, there was this whole thing with Kanye and Big Sean and Hit Boy and Logic talking about their frustrations with that label. So it's not exactly new. Um, so I think that coupled with the break and Tiana maybe just being an independent artist, she'll, maybe she'll feel better. I'm not saying that she'll be appreciated as she should be, but I think that it'll make the process of making music feel like fun again instead of feeling like a job that's exhausting for her she did just have a child as well so again I'm pretty sure she is exhausted and she just deserves to take a break but I highly doubt she's gonna retire I know I'm not the only one who um thinks this way I, I was talking to my friend Deja shout out to her and we were both just agreeing that we think it's cap she's just chatting at this point and you know she just is reacting based off of her emotions and I've seen other people on the shade room comment the same thing so I think in another three or four years she'll be back to making music again and you know I personally I love Tiana Taylor and I really fucked with a lot of the music on her album I don't think it was Grammy worthy because I think there were other R&B albums that were better than the album but I can understand as an artist that she's feels unappreciated and overlooked because she's talented and the music is good and I definitely think that some of the music off of her last project keep the same energy definitely deserves some Grammy noms so I understand her frustration and I do hope that she takes some time to reflect and comes back to making music moving on to Amini who dropped the deluxe version of Limbo now I'm a newer fan of his so I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly y'all can get at me on in the comments if I'm saying his name wrong um, and you know I really, really loved Limbo, but this Deluxe wasn't needed at all. Like most Deluxe albums as of late, the Limbo Deluxe just added unnecessary songs onto an album that was perfect the way it was. Deluxes are really starting to ruin perfectly good albums, and it's so clear that these days, especially in the pandemic, they are used as a way to collect more streams and collect more money. And if Deluxe albums aren't bad enough, now labels are repackaging music from albums into mini EPs, which are clearly a way for the label to remind their audiences to re-listen to these songs again. And they're doing this again to gain more streams. I know the music business has always been shady and about money, but it's gotten so much more obvious over the years when they pull stunts like this. There were only three songs worth saving and re-listening to, and these three songs are Solid, Buzzin', and Talk. So I want to start off with Solid. This song, first of all, is way too short. But I really like the message in the song. Um, Amini is unflinching, unflinching with how he feels, which I always respect. I also love how his music is rooted in his blackness, which I, of course, relate to. And I love hearing artists who are authentic in that way. Um, I love the way the hook in the song is structured as well. My favorite line is, quote, The same motherfuckers that's gonna rattle their guns be the same that hate hijabs and Black History Month. 
And all I have to say to that is facts. He spit nothing but facts. Moving on to Buzzin'. I really like the beat on this song, and I think that's why um, I took to it. It has some live elements to it that I also really like. He does melodies really well in general, and his melodies sound good on Buzzin'. He's one of the few rappers who pull off the melodic shit well, and it's not like one of those where you listen to it and you're like, oh, please stop that singing shit. It, he actually does. He actually sounds really good when he does it. My favorite line off of Buzzin' is, quote, Hoping I'm not crazy, but I'm bugging. The way you make my heart jump, you make me feel like someone. My friends say that I'm love drunk. And the last song I want to talk about off of the Limbo Deluxe is Talk, which features Saba. Amani has good wordplay, you know, in general, and this song is just filled with them. It really does have some good-ass lines. He was spitting, and I simply love this track because of it. That's really why I like Limbo, too, because that was my real introduction into his music i had heard you know caroline and like other singles here and there but this was the first album of his i really sat and listened to and i'm like damn he can rap for sure my favorite lines off of talk is quote nigga you can't phase me you crazy and also quote i witness death i'm still living the perfect juxtaposition throw on my joggers and jordans my shorty hold me up like jordan and pippin the flu game now i appreciated this line because you know, I had always heard about um, the Bulls flu game where Michael Jordan got really sick and they were really relying on Pippen to help Jordan out, pretty much assist him because he wasn't at his full, he wasn't himself because he was sick. So obviously he need, they the Bulls needed like um, good players that could kind of um, score some points because Jordan couldn't, he was sick. And after watching um, the documentary that they did on the 96 Bulls, I think it was called The Last Dance, and kind of seeing what was happening behind the scenes and during the game, you know, now that I had some, now that I had some um, knowledge about the flu game and even the Bulls, I appreciated that line, you know, I love basketball, I'm not going to pretend that I know all the the details and the terminology and how all that stuff works, but um, I really, really did like that line. All in all, Limbo Deluxe could have been kept, but it had a solid three good songs. Limbo is a good album, though, so I won't hold it against him that the Deluxe wasn't very good. Moving on, congrats to Victoria Monet, who announced that she's pregnant last week. Honestly, I was shook when I read her announcement because it was unexpected, but I'm happy for her and I'm wishing her a healthy pregnancy and delivery. Keisha Cole and Ashanti are facing off in a versus battle on December 12th and this was something that's a long time coming because a lot of people were really really pushing for them to do a versus and um, I'm letting y'all know I'm team Keisha to the fullest I just want to let that be known I definitely think she's gonna win hands down like no competition but I think Ashanti is a good match for her because Ashanti does have hits she does and I'm not gonna deny her that However, I think Keisha Cole's got more of them, and she's got, I think, more important records in her discography, so I think she's going to win. Either way, it's going to be really fun to watch, and um, I think the last versus battle that I watched was between um, Monica and Brandy, so I think that I'm going to have just as much fun watching Keisha Cole and Ashanti because I, I really like the both of them, you know, as I did with Monica and Brandy, so... um. I don't know if they're going to break Brandy and Monica's record. I think Gucci and um, Jeezy did because, of course, they did. They were kind of like the male version of Monica and Brandy where it's two artists that really, really hate each other. 
finally getting together in the same room and doing something like a versus battle that's really important for the culture. Um, so I don't think that um, Keisha Cole and Ashanti are going to break either of those um, versus battle views. But not that that matters, but, you know, it's very clear that to Swiss, that's what it's about these days. Who can we put it, pit against each other to um, get a high amount of uh, viewership? Even if they don't break the viewing numbers, I think it's still going to be an interesting battle. I still think there's going to be a lot of people in there watching because, again, this is for the culture. That's what Versus is about. And I'm happy that Keisha Cole is finally doing a Versus battle because she's got a lot of great songs. Like, there are going to be songs in that they play that I forgot about that I love. And that's one of the best things about the versus battle is the music. And then when the playlists get uploaded um, on Spotify and on Apple music, it's just fun to go back and revisit that stuff. And honestly, if my radio show was still a thing and the pandemic wasn't happening, I would definitely have versus themes on my show of playing the best songs from each artist on my show. So I can't wait to watch that. That's happening December 12th. If you didn't know, and you like both artists like I do and you want to check it out, definitely do so. I definitely um, will be talking about the versus battle. The next episode for next week is actually going to be the last episode of the season. So I'm going to wrap up a whole bunch of the best music of 2020. My favorites, you know, my favorite songs, my favorite albums, my favorite artists. And I'll definitely be talking about Keisha Cole and Ashanti. It also looks like Ariana Grande's long-awaited Sweet No World Tour movie is finally about to hit Netflix because she's been teasing the project on social media. I wasn't one of the fans begging for this movie because, you know, not to brag or anything, but you know, I saw the tour live last year, and seeing a concert live is way better than watching a movie version of it. But I won't lie, it will be fun getting to relive this concert in movie form, so I'll definitely be watching. Um, I went with my good friend Isaac, who I've talked about on my podcast before, and so maybe I'll FaceTime him or we'll finally figure out this Netflix like group watching thing, you know, figured out and we can watch it together. Before I end the episode, I did want to talk about um, Chris Brown celebrating his 15-year anniversary of his debut. So it's been 15 years of, you know... 15 years worth of albums and music from Chris Brown, which is incredible because it doesn't feel that long. And I feel like I'm too young to have artists with having these long achievements. Like it just blows my mind, you know, 15 years of Chris Brown, 10 years of Pink Friday, 10 years of, well now 11 years of So Far Gone, 10 years since Drake's debut. And it just blows my mind at 22 that I have artists that I've been listening to since I was a kid that now have these achievements. Um, but I remember hearing Run It on the radio for the first time as a kid and not knowing who he was at all, um, thinking that it was a girl singing because his voice was so high because at the time he was like 15 and the radio played it constantly and I fell in love with the song and, you know, I kept hearing other songs from him and I fell in love with those and then I got the album and, and, you know, I was, I've been a, a fan for a long time and, um, he just has a lot of longevity with, his discography like you know over the course of a couple of years I haven't been a fan of the 40 song albums I I love a lot of the music on them but it's just it feels like too much but hopefully with his um next album which is a milestone album because it'll be his 10th hopefully he gets back he gets back to basics of what made his music great and you know kind of takes advantage of R&B kind of accepting traditional forms again like and I mean an audience an R&B audience kind of accepting 
traditional forms of R&B because that's what he started off doing, you know, R&B and pop music. So it'll be good to hear him. It'll be great to hear him get back to that. But it was definitely fun kind of going through his albums and re-listening to you know, his older albums again, and just remembering how much I love them, you know, my absolute favorite albums of his are Fame and Fortune, they were just, to me, they'll never be topped, I don't think he'll ever top Fame and Fortune, those were really, really good albums, and he had like a good, like, three, four year run where it was Fame, Fortune, and X, which are his best albums to me, and he, you know, he doesn't have a lot of bad albums, I think to me, the ones I, I don't care for, are graffiti and royalty but he has a really good and strong discography and again it blows my mind that it's been 15 years but I do hope that when he drops his album next year that um it's not 40 songs I don't want it to be over 15 songs and hopefully like I said he gets back to basics so before the episode ends I did want to talk about the song of the week and the song of the week is Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande it's a Christmas song I know I talked a lot of shit about Christmas music but it is a good Christmas song because one it's original and two it's just fun it has a lot of energy it's fun to sing and dance to it's a song that I always play on Christmas Eve because it's just it invokes such good and positive feelings and I'm already excited on Christmas Eve so that's when I really listen to Christmas music and Santa Tell Me is one of my favorite Christmas songs by Ariana Grande and we're in December so it's only right. If you haven't heard the song by now definitely check it out. If you do love the song you might as well tell me how much you love it on social media. So we have come towards the end of the episode. Um, Thank you guys for listening to me talk for almost an hour. Thank you guys for supporting this podcast. And if you want to help me elevate this podcast to the next level, definitely um, donate to my listener donations, which can be found on both my website, which is www.listentomespeak.com and also on my anchor page. Um, It's as cheap as 99 cents or it can be as expensive as $9.99. Um, But I would really, really appreciate it. I don't care which price you choose. Like I said, I'm just grateful for the donations. And if you want to keep up with me on social media, again, head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. And there will be links to my YouTube, to my Instagram, my Twitter, and my Facebook. And you can keep up with uh, what's happening with the podcast, whether it's me taking a hiatus or, you know, just any little updates regarding the show. You can keep up with me there. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.